Welcome back to Not Alone, a podcast about faith and well-being. We're so glad you're listening. In this episode, we will be talking about dialogue with others. You've probably read and heard much about the divisiveness of our times, and perhaps you've even experienced a heightened level of discord in your own life recently. We're not going to solve the issue of tribalism today in this episode, but we do have a question to focus our discussion on. Why is it our immediate instinct to criticize the views of others who are different from us, and how can curiosity lead the way to better dialogue and more harmony? To talk about this, here are Michael McCord, Lindsay Geist, and Evan DeYoung. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another wonderful episode of the Not Alone Podcast. The spot, uh, the spodcast. <laughs> We're keeping it. We're keeping it. The spodcast that explores faith and well-being, mental health, and tangents, everything all along the way. I am Evan DeYoung, and I am joined as every episode, except for some, with Lindsay and Michael. Say hello to the people. Hey, everybody. Good day, everyone. Good to be with you all again. Good day. Good day. Michael Michael has, uh, and I were crafting an email together, and he started it off with uh, good day, and then uh, ended it with, what was, your, what was your salutation? Very truly? Yes, very truly. <laughs> very truly. Yours forever. <laughs> and I really wished that uh, I could use truly yours in this day and age for my email signature, but it's not quite there. I went to tour the Abraham Lincoln Presidential Library, and I read a bunch of his letters, and I think he was a pretty cool guy, and he signed all his letters, truly yours, Abraham Lincoln, and I always thought that was so cool when I was a teenager. I was like, I need to do that. I need to be cool like Abraham Lincoln. It's that just is an simply, interesting statement. I need to be cool like Abraham Lincoln. I mean, he's pretty memorable and incredible. I just, that's a fascinating sentence of that's who you would put as the language of cool. Abraham uh, Lincoln. Well, I, I think that's a great segue into what we're talking about this <laughs> week too, because we are talking about how to have relationships and how to maintain relationships with folks that are radically different than us. And I think Abraham Lincoln had to do that. Uh, had to figure some stuff out with the old civil war there. Uh, and I think that it's that level of tension that I think we can find ourselves in with friends and family when we get into some of these heated conversations and start to see that we have disagreements with folks. How has that been for you guys this last uh, couple years? Because I feel like for me, it used to be a different ball game, and I think things have ratcheted up in our society quite a bit. And it's something that I used to be like, oh, we just disagreed, to now I'm like, I don't know where anyone's at with any of this, and I don't really even know how to have start a conversation with you. Well, I think I, I start off by wondering. I, I really, with a sense of curiosity about this, not not to lead us too far down where we're going today, but lead us. I really, I really a, I am to tee you up, yeah, Michael. I know. So I, I really, I really am curious about. You know, I I feel like that right now, and I hear a lot of people talking about that our our society, our culture, uh, particularly, let, let me let me not put this on everywhere, but although I think this may be a, a more global statement, that we are a very divided country right now, um, maybe a divided world. Maybe we're maybe we're really kind of regressed into our little our groups of ideological thinking and practice and think that sort of thing. I, I do wonder though. Sometimes 
we make generalizations like that. And there are a lot of other influences in the culture at the time too. I mean, like, for example, we now are so much more vividly aware of people's inner thoughts because they can put them on social media in ways that they couldn't before. So I guess I, as I enter in today's discussion, I don't want to assume that the, the, the culture that we're experiencing right now is some sort of anomaly. It may be, I don't know. But I also know that a lot of people are experiencing a sense of real divisiveness in their life, mm-hmm. uh, in their families, in their workplace, in their religious tradition, that it just seems like there, ha- there that there's a lot of sort of what we talk about, like binary thinking, mm-hmm. that there, there's, there's a right and there's a wrong, and they're very clear, and everyone other than me is in the wrong. Okay, I yes, everyone other than me is in the wrong is my uh, life philosophy. Um, but let's That's true. <laughs> he has a button on right now. You can't That's see it. it, but there's a button that says I'm right. Lindsay, from your experience, especially in the clinical pastoral world, does this seem like something that we've been struggling with as a society? It has really increased. Um, there's uh, been kind of research behind it that it's the largest time that our country has been this polarized and divided and not just politically, you know, of Republican Democrat or, uh, you know, who you voted for president. Vaxxer, anti-vaxxer. Right. But just saying as a whole uh, that we have these black and white absolutes these days um, and we're not dialoguing as much anymore. And so part of this episode is us exploring how do we get back to dialoguing and not seeing the other person as an enemy or an other, uh, but what if we can all learn and grow from each other? Uh, Because, I mean, the three of us even don't see eye to eye on every topic. I know Michael's now up to the screen trying to look eye to eye with me. Yeah, but I can't. I can't. There. <laughs> oh, it's very <laughs> I wish anybody had gotten a screenshot of that. Um, but even the three of us, while we share a lot of um, a, a lot of thoughts in common and experiences in common, we still are differing on topics. And how do we not discount somebody else, but learn and grow and be open to change? I think that's something that we all have to come into conversations with hmm. is our willingness to possibly shift and change. And how awesome is that to actually want to grow and change? I do not want to be the same person my entire life. Um, I mean, y'all may feel differently that you might never want to change. Um, and while there's parts of me that I wish did not change as we all you know, got older, that there's lots of things that I do want to grow and change and not always just be locked in to exactly what I thought at 15 years old, 18 years old, 23 years old. I want to be learning and growing and shifting. And I can see that in my life of how I have gathered new information and things that I thought and believed very strongly mm. at 17 or 18. Um, now in my mid-ish 30s, um, I feel differently about because I've had different life experiences. 
Yeah, I had the world figured out uh, as a teenager, and uh, that has been systematically dismantled by living life. Uh, (laughs) But there's a lot of there's a lot of prevailing truths that have really hung around, and I think that's always the challenge. Like, what is what is a value versus just an opinion? You know, what is what is not changing? I mean, we even hit those challenges when it comes to scripture, right? What is historical context, and what is prevailing truth? I mean, a lot of our challenges that we deal with. Um, especially in the church world, uh, tend to go around what's applicable today and then what was something that we should look at with a more historical lens uh, compared to that eternal truth of the Word of God. Michael, you have some thoughts on critique to curiosity that you kind of mentioned. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and where you see it coming into these kinds of conversations and relationships as you've managed them over the years? Yeah, and I want to I want to start by going back to something that Lindsay said in in kind of response to my opening argument that maybe maybe things aren't as as you know we think of we talk about this is the most desi- divisive time in our our society which which may or may not be true in some ways I think it is outwardly speaking right there's very outward disagreements and what I think Lindsay said that I picked up on is. I wonder. This this is the thing I'm wondering is that I my guess would my assumption would be that Americans have always had pretty divisive and uh, differing thoughts, but maybe one of the things that has happened over the last decade or so is our inability to have civil conversations and to see models by which public leaders and religious leaders handle those kinds of divisive topics. It's not that people, it's not like all, like all this time, this is what I think some people might think. Uh, if when we say something like we're in the most divisive period of life is that Americans used to all be on the same boat mm-hmm. and we all used to believe the same things that had the same values and everything was good. And then all of a sudden bleep happened, whatever that is, you know, People, I've heard people talk about globalization caused it, uh, liberalization, conservative evangelicals caught. Like, there's lots of blame associated with it. My argument would be, my theory is that actually, um, we've always had divisive thoughts. We are a very interesting culture. We have this confluence of many different religious traditions and um, political backgrounds and 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 cultural backgrounds all put into this country together, and we're relatively speaking, a very new country too. So we're still learning what it means to be this country that we've created. Um, and, it, and, and so all that stuff existed. It's just that maybe we've lost the art of having meaningful conversations with each other and holding things in tension better. And so I say that to say, first, just try to take the pressure off of society right now that like we have to get our thinking right. Because I think that's, sometimes people think the solution to having a, a, a more civil society is if everyone just agrees. But, but I think that's actually not a civil, that's, 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 that's a, a political system I don't want to be part of, yeah. uh, where everyone has the same thoughts or everyone yields to some single authority about what right is. So I, I only position that to, to push my argument about this, this, this whole shift I've tried to live into, especially in the last few years, the last four or five years about moving from critique to curiosity. And uh, it, it's, it for me started a, a long time ago, sort of it's been, it's been in coming, this idea of, of being more curious rather than critical. And I'll start with the fact that I am a critical person. You probably can tell it 
if you've been with us long enough, I have opinions about things. They're usually strong opinions. <laughs> uh, and uh, when I encounter people and organizations and systems, I can't help but be critical about them. I sat in church yesterday um, and I, believe it or not, was just critical. I just, I can't help. I, I interact with the world through a, through a lens of critique. And I realized that I was doing that with most people in my life here in our, in my home country, in my community. And then I took this job. Uh, and actually this, this just came out. I recently had a birthday and uh, you know, on Facebook and it, it, when you have a birthday, you have all these friends that come out and wish you happy birthday. It's one of the really, it's one of the nicest gifts Facebook gives me every year. There's a lot that Facebook I think takes away from people in their life, <laughs> but, but that like roll call of, of people that you've met in life, uh, no matter how it's incidentally, no matter how simple it is, like even if it's the people just say happy birthday, Michael, or they click the auto, you know, Facebook auto fills it and you can just send it. Um, I found uh, personally, I read every single one of them at the end of the day at that late at that night, I will read every single one of them. And I just take a moment to remember each of those people because there's some some memory associated with some 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 interaction with them. And. Um, I just went through it and I clicked through it. And at the end of it, I just kind of took this deep breath and just so thankful for my incredible life that I've had, that I've been able to meet such uh, just really, really amazing people. But also I realized to a sitting and thinking, what would it be like to have all of them in one room together? Because they are some, they come from very different parts of the world and see things very, very differently theologically, politically, culturally, socially, uh, what kinds of foods they love to it, they enjoy, like, you know, what their norms in life are, are just radically different because my, my previous job um, required that I travel internationally a lot. And so I've met people. So, so uh, you know, on the same Facebook post, you might have someone from Macon, Georgia, where I used to live, uh, New York City, where I had good friends, where I, I worked a long time and people in Ghana and in and Zimbabwe and Taiwan and all of those people kind of, you know, commingled uh, into this this birthday wish, and it just it made me pause and think about um, how grateful I am to have people who see the world differently than me in my life because they helped me see a bigger picture of the world than I saw when I just grew up here in Georgia and, and never left the state. Um, so I give thanks for that. But it also reminded me where this curiosity came from. I realized at one point I was during one of my trips to to Asia. I was in. Uh, uh, I was in Japan and I was in some conversations with people. And I realized in the middle of that, that I was, I, I was with someone who thought things very differently than I do. And they had, they didn't really have a religious tradition. And we were just talking about that. And I found myself being in a different posture and I would travel to some other, other countries too. And I had that say, so I realized that when I left my own country and people looked differently, they spoke a different language that I had a much more generous heart. And when they would tell me that they believed something that I didn't believe, um, that was just counter to, to my own personal experience and what I've been taught. Let me, I've worked in some communist countries and people who worked, who, who worked in the communist government, you know, and I'm having a conversation with them and, and all of my flags are going up that I've ever been taught, you know, about, about how bad communism is and how bad the people involved in it are. And you just like immediately have that like, but I found myself just being really, oh, tell me more about that. So I don't even, I don't even understand what that means in real life to be part of the communist party. What does that, what does that really mean for you? And what does that look like? Which is a far different attitude I found 
than what I have here in the US. When I meet someone who looks like me, who's part of my community, who talks my language, I am far less curious about them than I, than I am critical about them. For example, if I had that same conversation uh, and someone came up to me and said, I'm, you know, I'm part of uh, some radical political group, I, I would probably not have a curious heart. Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> you know, if you, you could name any of the radical left wing or right wing political groups, I probably just start stepping back and be like, oh, this person is crazy. There's something wrong with this person. <laughs> I'm not going to ask, well, tell me what that means. How did you get associated with that organization? And what does it look like to be part of that? Or like, I would never ask those kinds of questions. And so that's where the genesis of this idea of what would it be like for my own personal life to move from a, a point of critique when I encounter someone who sees something differently than me to, to trying to have a more generous heart and a more curious mind when I encounter those kinds of people who, who see or experience the world differently than me. I'm writing that down, what it would look like to have a more generous heart and a curious mind when it comes to when I meet people. I don't... It sounds like a lot of work, Michael. (laughs) (laughs) Hard Uh, things are not always fun either. Well, it, it does make me wonder how that connects to to our role as christians too like what is what are we if we're if we're followers of christ i I like to rattle around in my head and think that we're called to be bridge builders and we're supposed to always remind people of the hope that exists in life in purpose that we have Um, and it it does seem like a, a neat way to reevaluate what that means because being a bridge builder i mean that's just you know whatever right like it's that could mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people but approaching it with a generous heart and a curious mind is a little more tangible and functional how have you seen that work how's it going (laughs) (laughs) it's like it's like every it's like a diet you know it's like if you decide you want to be healthier it's a day by day, meal by meal, food by food, exercise by exercise kind of decision. But I think there's tools that I've developed along the way that have helped me kind of, because it's really about catching yourself. It, it, that's what I find is that my go-to reaction is that I'm, I'm critical of this person and I have some critical thought about them. Um, so that, that is the first warning sign and that, okay, I had this critical thought. It's not like the critical, critical thinking goes away. It's not like all of a sudden now when I see something, I'm like, oh, I just wonder why they decided to wear, you know, black pants and a brown shirt. Like, I'm just really curious about that. I still will say like, what? you know, I still have those same thoughts, but I let those trigger a different kind of thinking. So for one of those tools, one of the tricks that I've developed is because uh, um, I absolutely love my grandmother. She's, she's passed. Um, uh, but uh, she was my last grandparent. And I liked all of my grandparents, I should say, incidentally, they're all wonderful. They were wonderful parts of my life, but my grandmother lived the longest. And so we spent the most time as, as an adult together with her. And, you know, I, um, there are a lot of things my grandmother taught me, a lot of things that she thought that are different than the things I think. Um, and she's also had a radical, she grew, she, she, she grew 
as I did. She she saw things differently. But she lived in South Georgia in her entire life. And I loved her. But I also know that some of the things she taught me and my family story taught me are things I no longer really agree with. And but I realized when I go up against those thoughts, they're really hard to address because they're things my grandmother taught me. And I recognize that when I'm encountering someone's story and what they believe, most of our deep rooted beliefs are family stories. Mm-hmm. They're family beliefs. They're not, oh, I've, I've sat back, I've read several books, I've assimilated lots of experiences, and I've come to this realization that this is what I believe. No, I think most, most of those beliefs, especially the ones where we really fight about them, are things that come from our family. And someone taught us when we were young uh, that so-and-so was not good. And one of the one of the great family stories that we have in in America in uh, many, many of us is that uh, you know about is it is racist is racism racism is a family story it's a narrative that we inherited um, I inherited as a, a white Southern male and that's something I have to reckon with uh, throughout my life it's it's not like it's just going to go away but when I encounter somebody now who is racist who throws up my flags who who kind of raises the hair on the back of my neck. I, one of the things I have started to use is that I, I wonder if his grandmother taught him that, Hmm. which, which changes the dynamics just a little bit to alleviate a little bit of the pressure for me to try to, because in that case, I think when we, when the, when the hair raises on our back and we're we're like, ah, this is like a crazy person, you're either going to fight or you're going to fly. That's our Mm -hmm. initial reaction. Um, But then when you soften a little bit, said, what if his grandmother taught him that, that black people were bad? Or that white people were bad, or that but fill in the blank person. If if uh, another a big one in the church is LGBTQ, you know, if, if this person's uh, been taught to believe something about gay people uh, by their grandparents, and so that just has allowed me to take a little bit step back and be a little bit softer with that person. And then I, the question is, I kind of want to know where did he learn that you should have those thoughts about those people? That that's a that's a different question then why do you think that? Let me tell you why you're wrong, which is a critique. Okay, Lindsay. So then in like a one-on-one kind of clinical setting, is this something that uncovering of beliefs and values and unpacking that and having conversations about how that relates to like the relationships that we have? Seems like that's uh, been a big part of therapy that I've experienced in my life, but I don't want to apply my time in therapy with professionals Cer- too. certainly yeah. ever this recording this she's asked us a lot of questions about that too hasn't she <laughs> <laughs> um, so this is this is a natural dynamic that most people are dealing with it seems like yeah i it's always interesting in counseling especially in unique seasons and climates um so it is no secret uh to all of my clients in my counseling practice that I'm a pastor. Uh, and so that right there, that's not something you like surprise, like fourth session. And Oh, by the way. Yeah, no. Um, (laughs) I flat out say it in session one, by the way, you have read the paperwork and let's say it out loud. Um, so that you are not surprised later. Uh, but we find, I find that we, do some talking around theology and what people understand and kind of where they are in uh, different stances and beliefs uh, on large spectrums of different topics, because I want to make sure that I am not making an assumption 
about their beliefs. And just because we may have one or two beliefs that as they're sharing it, I'm going, oh, me too. I, I understand that. That I then don't project the rest of my beliefs on them. And both theologically and also in the entire election and political season, I had to be incredibly mindful to hold myself neutral. That my goal is that I didn't want clients necessarily to know where I was sitting um, on any sort of spectrum. Or if you did, um, if, if you kind of figured out based on some of our uh, honest wrestling when we had to, when we were talking about experiences um, that we've had, I wanted my thoughts and experiences to be neutral, that I am really asking the person sitting across from me questions. Uh, what led you to this belief? Who taught this to you? Have you ever found when this belief stopped working for you? Mm. Have you ever been given any information that changes this? Um, and a lot of times people come into counseling when they've had some strong belief about something or a stance on a topic most of their life. And then all of a sudden they are, and I use this word for the way people describe it, confronted with something that is shaking their beliefs, uh, a relationship that they have, uh, they new research or information or something that all of a sudden they can't rely on what they relied on before. Hmm. Um, and just helping people ask questions about that. What do we do when we either have to double down on where we stand or possibly shift and learn and grow? That does seem like kind of a make or break moment where we have a conversation with someone and then, somebody puts some information out there, an opinion, and then we start to realize that we're not totally aligned on it. Um, and it maybe tests or pushes against some of our values or things that we would believe deeply. Yeah, that's a tricky situation to be in. Um, it seems like it is, and I'm just going to toss out a, a hypothesis and we can, we can chat about it. It seems to me that there is some disagreement on even if it is good to change your mind on things and to be open on certain things compared to maintaining values or a status quo that exists. And so my question would be, is there a spectrum of times that it's good to be like open-minded and a, a learner? Should we push back harder on certain things? Is that what God calls us to do? Does God call us to stand up and fight for Christian principles in these conversations? Or what does that role look like as believers? Because that has a lot to do with faith and our well-being. Because if we're constantly in these battles... <laughs> Right. I mean, that like if we're constantly in fight mode in the way that we view relationships, it seems like that's not so good for our long term well-being nor our faith development. But I don't know if you've encountered that where you have a conversation and 
the entire conversation is about perpetuating an existing value system and structure, whether from the Bible or family and things like that. So there doesn't seem to be a general openness. Those are challenging conversations. So is that even evident? Is that present in society? Is it good for us to change our minds? Is it good for us to come into some situations with willingness to, to learn and grow? In some situations, we need to have a more firm approach. How does that manifest itself practically? I think we always need to come into conversations willing to learn. Um, I think that's part of our, the importance of respecting one another and valuing the worth of one another is that uh, being willing to learn and grow does not mean that you're necessarily going to change your mind. I think that's important for us to remember is that just because you're open to really hearing what the other person has to say, hearing about their experience, hearing about uh, some of their beliefs and how they came about to those beliefs doesn't mean that in the end you are going to change your mind, but it means that you're willing to actively listen and try to understand where the other person is coming from and then use that information that they share to synthesize that through your own thoughts and decide how to either incorporate that information or uh, use that as kind of reinforcement of your previous understanding on how best to move forward. Yeah, I, I think that, uh, I think it's a little bit of, you know, to, to use Lindsay, both things are true at the same time. I think, <laughs> I think there is this growing and this, in this like identity that we form over our time. There are things of values and there's a sense of home. Um, I think we always, I, I think we're able to re-identify home uh, for sure over time and what home is. Um, and I don't mean the physical place, but where you feel at peace uh, spiritually, mentally, uh, uh, practically, physically, where you, where you feel safe. And um, I think that sense of home is real to people. And I think it does change over time. It's you're allowed to experience a sense of home in other places, even though they may not be your home. Uh, and let me give you, let me give you a concrete example. And I, I'll just, this, this is my, my first ever trip out of the country by myself for work was the Philippines to Manila. And it is a, one of the most populous cities in the world. And they, it's, it's also a very um, challenging political scenario and a lot of poverty a lot of condensed uh, living and traffic. It's just, is absolutely, even people from the Philippines will talk about Manila traffic. It's, it's the worst thing I've ever experienced in my life <laughs> in terms of traffic. And what, what, hold on. I'm now just to be curious. What specifically like there's just so no rules? my first, there's, like there are no, the there, road, there are very there? loosely applied rules and there are just, if, if, uh, if the city of Atlanta drew, uh, you know, multiplied 10 times and we didn't change our roads and imagine putting that same amount of people on the same roads that we currently have, you know, it's, it's, it's to that level of gridlock. Well, and it sounds like what we're doing right now. <laughs> it does. It, we're in that, we're heading that direction. We are definitely <laughs> heading in that direction. Um, that's our aspirational city is Manila traffic. Cause it's a competition about who has the worst traffic in the world. Um, but in, in any case, like my first trip there, this is a perfect example. We, we are going, uh, they pick me up from the airport and we, we take a, a nine hour drive to hit, you know, a few different colleges that I was working with then. 
Uh, and before we could get out of the city, we hit gridlock, just completely stopped for 45 minutes, not able to move anywhere. And then it pours down. And then the city uh, doesn't have the drainage to handle the a downpour. And so it it fills the road up with water so much it's it's spilling in from the sides of the car. Now, this is something that people who live there are are experienced with. Time out, time out. Water is physically coming into your vehicle? Yes, yes. And we have to turn it off so that the, we don't flood the engine. So then we have no air conditioning, water seeping in from the sides of our minivan that we're in, kind of a raised up minivan. And and all the kids get out of their cars, take their clothes off and go swimming in this in this what? water. Yes. No, 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 no. This that is my first happen. this is my first experience, the Philippines. Uh, and then on my departure, it was even more interesting. I um uh, a hurricane was coming. They have they have like um I don't know, like 50 named storms a year or something, some hundred, maybe a hundred named storms a year. So they have constant, they're right in the path of hurricanes. So they call them typhoons. Uh and so it's a super typhoon coming. Uh and and so I have to evacuate out of the city that I'm in because we're on the other side of the mountains and the mountains often get water, uh, uh, the, the rainwater will wash out the roads and you might get stuck for a month on the other side of the mountains. So they put well, me on a bus. Stuck for a right. month? Right. So this is, I just, I, I want to give the context, right? So. That was a it, lot of context that we're still baffled about. I just know, to get to the main this story. Is, this, <laughs> my life gets unhinged when Google Maps is like, hey, there was an accident. You need to change your route. And so I'm they, like, oh, my day's yeah, ruined. I know, it, Not it, a it, flash flood where all of a sudden you get out of the car, take all your clothes off, swim around in the streets. <laughs> just for the record, I didn't take all my clothes off and swim in the, <laughs> in the water. Just but on the way back, they put me on a bus and for 12 hours with no air conditioning. And... We watch a uh, Jackie Chan movie in uh, in Chinese with Tagalog subtitles, and we watch the same video, the same two hour movie, six times, <laughs> and it and and we actually stop and they we make these stops along and they start selling. They're selling chickens, live chickens, like they carry this them. Story is getting right? stranger and stranger. <laughs> so I knew there was more. So. And then, and then we have bathroom breaks where the men get, only the men get out. I guess the women, if you're desperate, you could, but you get out and you you go to the bathroom on a fence and then you come back in. And on a fence? On a fence. Like there's a fence. There's a fence line and everyone gets out. All the men get out and they stand along the fence line and they go. And, uh, you know, the women, you're good at holding it. Is there a it, men's so. fence and a women's fence? Or? Well, I, I didn't I didn't see. But anyway, so if you can imagine, I, I'm going home from this first trip and I... Um, there's more to the story. I get evacuated to Vietnam and it's just, it's, it's what? a what? but, but in any case, I I'm going home from my first trip to the Philippines and I'm like, I never want to go back this. That was the hardest thing I've ever done. I ate a fertilized duck egg. I ate this tilapia. They bury in the ground for 30 days with rice until it, it ferments. And then you eat it. It's a delicacy. Um, and I had, it was just, it, it like was food poisoning. It was a lot for me to take on as a person, it, it, it pushed every button I had. And I went home and I was like, I can never do it again. And um, about six months later, I went back. And, <laughs> and, and the second time I went, I found some of those things a little less daunting, a little bit mm. more approachable. And I, I had a little bit more understanding. I felt a little bit more comfortable around it. And, and now I look at those things and they're endearing. 
parts of those culture that I love. And I, I'd go back to Manila tomorrow if you, if, um, if I, if I could do it. And I, I think that's, I, and, and I think that's how life is, right? I mean, when you, when you greet somebody who's so different than you, or you encounter somebody who, uh, who has such a different life experience, it's really hard to take it all in at the mm-hmm. beginning. And my, and your first flight, your first decision, I just got to run away from this. I just can't, I can't deal with this. I just can't, um, you know, encounter this and make sense of this. And, but then as you develop a relationship of trust and you start seeking understanding and you ask questions and you learn a little bit more about a person, then, then you're able to, to grow from it. And I personally grew a lot uh, in the Philippines. It took a lot of personal growth to, to do that. I lost my luggage that first trip too. So I didn't even have clothes to fit. I, it, it was the best thing ever. Um, and there's stories I can't share, but it's anyway, it, I, it took a lot of personal growth and it had to challenge the very core of my being to go, to get myself back on that plane six months later. Mm. But when I did, I realized that there was something worth seeing here. And I have incredible, wonderful relationships with, with people in the Philippines whom I love deeply. Now, interestingly enough, if, if we could flip it, I brought my my friend over, right? one of my colleagues, one of my coworkers who, who was in the Philippines. He came to stay with us for, for a month uh, and, and we traveled and went to some conferences and, and things like that. And incidentally, he had the very same kind of experience with our culture, which, which was shocking mm. to me because I think of American culture as so easy. Uh, traffic is light. We're clean. There's lots of... A, there, <laughs> Sorry, you know, traffic is they, light. Right, right. The, traffic is light and... Your burden is easy. Um, you know, it, I, I, but we don't know how to cook rice and our food is really different and really hard to digest. If you haven't had it before, lots of fried foods and lots of mm-hmm. processed foods that they don't have in their normal life. And so it's, I realized that their coming, his coming to see us was just as life altering as me going to see them in the Philippines. And that gave me a huge amount of, of understanding about how complex life really is that people encounter me with the same kind of um, critique, the same level of critique as I see them. And we're just walking. I feel like, right. You know, to go back to how Lindsay opened and we talked about is I feel like we're just walking around as these, 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 you know, cocoons of critique. And we just, we just keep bumping into each other and, and never getting past that surface that keeps us from wanting to get to know each other. And, and we're just different. I've, I'm sitting here thinking about why do we critique so much? Why does that feel safer? And I, th- I think it boils down to fear. Fear that we might have to change or heaven forbid heaven forbid fear that we might want to change and believe something else or do something else. Um, And so I wonder how fear is tied into critique. And in some ways our critique is our defense mechanism Mm -hmm. coming up uh, to help protect us. Um. And protect that fear component in well, ourselves. It, I think it literally is our our sort of built-in fight or flight. It mm-hmm. is it is that deep-rooted reptilian kind of like 
you're either if if you're like me, you're okay, you're safe. If you're not like me, you're dangerous. And that's mm-hmm. a very very basic instinctual living that that we have in us that we we have to confront. Um, and you know, so so we look at the e- there are easy things or easier things, right? If if your skin is a different color than mine, then that's that's a that's an easy way to say you're different than me. Oh, you're scary. You're bad. Right. If we if we just mm-hmm. leave it at that physical encounter, that's that's how we decide whether you're you're good or bad. You look different than me. Um, you speak a different language. That's another another experience. If you if you go to a different church, there's all kinds of things, right? That we categorize ourselves. And the easy thing to do is say, okay, you're either an enemy or you're a friend. And I'm gonna either fight you or I'm gonna run away. Or I'm gonna flight you. I'm gonna fly. <laughs> I'm gonna fly you somewhere else. Gonna give you a flight of beers. I'm not leaving, but you have to leave. I, I actually like that. That's that's our new thing. We're either gonna fight or we're gonna give each other a flight of beers. And over <laughs> over over a drink, we're gonna have over a, a drink. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which can even make it, it better or way worse. <laughs> true. I I also wonder about perceived sameness. Oh that yes, yes. I think that we believe people are more like us or more different than us than they really are. Um, it's always fascinating, especially to walk into churches where people. Um, we often use all this language on diversity, and but we only really seem to talk about people the color of people's skin when mm-hmm. it comes to diversity, and. I often challenge churches. Diversity should not mean that only. Do you have people that believe uh, different things theologically? Do you have people that vote differently politically? Uh, Do you have diversity in the ages of people in this church or the stages that they're in? Are you celebrating the, I mean, the 90-year-old that is still attending the same church on their own after their partner has died, as much as you are celebrating the person in their late twenties that is attending by themselves because uh, they didn't have any friends and uh, don't have a partner with them. And so are we treating, you know, are we celebrating what each of them is bringing to the table as much as we're celebrating the family with young kids and how are we, how are we seeing the diversity there? Um, diversity in people's gifts and talents and the type of work they do uh, or the way that they're connected in their community. Right, you're getting all a, little of this, bit, a little bit into meddling now. Now, now I'm getting a little too much into, <laughs> uh, I'm going to make a few churches angry the way I'm talking. No, yeah, no, you're just you're <laughs> getting into my, my personal comfort zone. I'm, I'm going to make a, I'll make a confession here. I have a really hard time um, telling people that I'm a pastor as a white male from the South because mm-hmm. of the assumptions that I think they're going to have of me mm-hmm. because I say that. And, and those assumptions can run all kinds of like, and they run in both positive and negative directions too. I don't, I don't, it's not all negative. Um, but, but I found that by me naming my identity in that way really dramatically changes how people will encounter with me as opposed to getting to know them first as people and them as miss me as a person and then talking about my profession and my vocation, mm. you know, it's, it, it changes things, but I think you're absolutely right. I mean, there's, there's a lot of false positives 
in the way we see talking about pandemic world. There's a lot of false positives <laughs> in, in the testing that we do of people's um, ideological huh. thinking and theological thinking uh, because of the way they look or where they go. I mean, that, so many things. That concludes this half of the conversation. Thank you again for listening to Not Alone. If you enjoyed this show, make sure to give us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. Also, please tell a friend. If you would like to reach out to us or submit a question, you can find us on our social media platforms. We're on Instagram and Facebook at The Not Alone Pod. Check back with us in two weeks for part two of Critique to Curiosity.